0: School Radio, 91.3 KDKR, Decatur, Dallas, Fort Worth, and 91.3 KYJC Commerce.
1: Portions of KDKR's daily programming do not necessarily reflect the views of the management or staff.
0: Prudent Money with Bob Brooks is sponsored by the Prudent Money Foundation on 91.3.
1: Well, sold out the other side of the story. Today we're going to take a look. Stay tuned for Prudent Money. Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining me today. You know I do appreciate it. Well, what do the next two to four years look like? Well, New York Times bestselling author Jim Rickards is my special guest today to talk about his latest book, Sold Out, How Broken Supply Chains, Surging Inflation, and Political Instability Will Sink the Global Economy. Jim, great to have you on the program today. Thanks, Bob. Great to be with you. You know, Jim, one of the things that you point out at the very beginning of the book and, and I think is so very, very important is that you know, what we're going to talk about are, are some potentially difficult things to hear, but they're you know all part of markets, all part of political instability and the economy. And so you make a point that I think is so so important to start at, start at that whether we sink or swim depends on how prepared we are and what we do now to prepare for the coming collapse. And I think it's so important that listeners know that there are steps that can be taken to prepare for an uncertain future and still come out okay.
0: That's exactly right. And, you know, uh, sometimes people love to put words in your mouth, and people say, well, I'm this, you know, doom and gloom analyst. I'm actually a very optimistic person. But I'm an analyst, and I'm a, I'm a realist. So if there's, you know, difficult news or challenging news, uh, situations I point them out but I never do that without offering some solutions I don't think it's good enough just to you know point fingers or yell you know the sky's falling or whatever maybe it is but uh, there's a lot you can do we're not helpless um, the, the key is looking ahead the real problem is when people are kind of in denial like there's, there's bad stuff staring you in the face but they they turn away from it they're the ones who will get caught off guard but if you see it prepare for it you can do just fine I've always uh, always stick ahead stuck with
1: that. And we talk about it all the time, Jim, the other side of the story. You can get what the media feeds you, what Wall Street feeds you, but there is a whole other side of the story that's going on, and you can't make good decisions without both sides. You'll get that other side in uh, uh, Jim's latest book, Sold Out. You know, I think that people can understand and track with inflation and the reasons why we're seeing it. But, you know, Jim, when you start to talk about broken supply chains, I think people get a little lost. Let's go back to the basics and explain how supply chains work and really what they are.
0: Sure, and I give a very simplified example in the book, Bobby. So you go to the grocery store, and you buy a loaf of bread. And you say, well, okay, where'd the bread come from? And people say, well, it came from the, the bakery. The bakery's on the other side of town, and uh, a truck took it from the bakery to the store, and that's the supply chain. Well, that's true as far as it goes, but that is just a... The tip of the iceberg so you got the bread but it's in some kind of wrapper it could be paper it could be plastic or whatever um where that wrapper come from well it came from some other company that made it that had their own inputs well okay what about the truck that took it from the bakery to the store uh you know where where'd the truck come from who made that how does it run it runs on diesel fuel where the diesel fuel come from etc the driver had to be trained but even go back to the baker well how, how do you make bread you bake it in an oven. Well, where'd the oven come from? Well, someone manufactured it. You need tempered glass and steel and semiconductors, et cetera, et cetera. And what about how do you make bread? Well, it comes from flour. Where'd the flour come from? came from a mill. How did it get from the mill to the bakery? Probably a train. Uh, how did, Where did the mill get the flour? Well, it came from wheat. Where'd that come from? The farm. You, you take my point. You can keep going back
1: mm-hmm. further
0: and further into what we call the extended supply chain. The problem today, and the reason it broke down, is the supply chains go from Chongqing to New York. These are 9,000-mile, you know, inter-cross, you know, trans-Pacific, intercontinental supply chains with hundreds of uh, points of distribution, transportation, warehousing, preparation, manufacturing, etc. And every one of those points has its own supply chain of input. So when you really put it all together, because nobody can, co- you can, you can comprehend this, Theoretically, but nobody could actually put this all into a computer. There's not enough computing power in the world. But so you can see when we make it this complex and this big, the price that we pay is that they're very vulnerable to breakdown.
1: And have we we ever come across a situation like this in history? I know that you're a big history buff and you study past economies and, and whatnot. But have we ever seen anything like we're seeing today?
0: Not like this. Now, I do make the point in the introduction to the book. I talk about a uh, actually a Bronze Age shipwreck from around 1200 BC. It was discovered off the off the coast of Turkey in the Mediterranean. It was a, a sponge diver. He was you know looking for sponges on the bottom, and he found a funny shaped jug, and he reported it to the authorities, and they explored it, and it turned out to be the greatest uh, kind of treasure of Bronze Age artifacts ever discovered in any shipwreck. Now. So this, this boat is off the coast of Turkey. It's like, uh, uh, you know, as I say, 3,200 years ago. But on board, they found uh, amber, which comes from the Baltic Sea region. They found gold, which at the time was coming from Sudan. They found weapons, which would have been made in uh, Damascus, you know, present-day uh, Syria or Israel. They found olive oil and figs, which would have come from Spain or Italy, etc., even a carving of Queen Nefertiti, which is probably on its way to Alexandria. Uh, So you take all those points I just described and plot them out. That's an area of 5 million Mm -hmm. square miles Mm -hmm. from the Baltic Sea to the equator. So the point is there's nothing new about supply chains. But what is new is supply chain science. That really started around 1989 with more computing power, artificial intelligence, applied mathematics, etc. And at the same time, what happened in 1989? Fall of the Berlin Wall. 1991 the collapse of soviet uh, the soviet union um and then 1992 was when china really emerged after Tiananmen square really became uh more of a global trading power um and and so on so that was really the beginning of globalization now we had we've had international trade for a long time after world war ii but russia was not in the system remember in this in the 60s Pepsicola put a bottling plant in russia and you would have thought that uh Nirvana had arrived, you know, because uh, there's one one pep- you get a bottle you get a bottle of Pepsi in Moscow, but Russia was really out of the system except for some basic commodities. China was out of the system because of Mao Zedong, and we didn't have the logistics and the computing power. So, yeah, international trade, but real globalization really came up in the '90s. Well, they, you know, the scientists and experts and engineers and others took it and ran with it. The goal was efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. Make it cheaper. Source the cheap labor in China. Source the cheap inputs maybe in Russia. Um, you know, do whatever it took. Cut down transportation lanes, et cetera. And it worked. You know, we had we didn't have much inflation in the in the uh, sorry in the 2000s. People talked about inflation. Yeah, two years ago, yes, it started. We have serious inflation today, but for 10 years from 2008 to 2018, there was no serious inflation because of these efficient supply chains. But my point is, there was a hidden cost. The visible savings were real, but the hidden cost was we made it extremely fragile, very prone to breakdown. And then that's what we got. Now I also explore the the causes of that breakdown in the book.
1: Well, you know, I think it's human nature to look at this and go and ask the question: Okay, we'll fix it. <laughs> you know, how do you? It's been <laughs> it's been long enough. You know, surely they can fix it by now. Or is this is this uh, way worse than we can imagine? And uh, supply chains will forever be changed
0: well i think that's exactly where right. again going back to my bronze age point we're always going to have supply chains but they're, they're the new supply chain that's emerging now is going to be different uh bob i talked to a guy you know ceo of a major tech company but, you know there were thousands of people involved but probably the guy the single guy who made the made his greatest contributions rather to modern supply chains And he said to me he said jim you have to understand, it took us 30 years to build this, from 1989 to 2019. We blew it up in about three years. It's not coming back as it was. Well, it's never coming back as it was. But it won't even be efficient again for another five or ten years. best way to think about it, Bob, is uh, if you have a very expensive vase, and somebody knocks it over and it breaks into 5,000 pieces, you don't get down on the ground and put the pieces back together. It's gone. you got to go buy a new vase. And that's what's happening We're going to have a new supply chain. And at at the end of the book, in Chapter uh, 5 and in the conclusion, uh, I talk about what that will look like.
1: This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money radio show. We're talking to Jim Rickards about a great book called Sold Out. Uh, Jim, I don't know if you remember. I know you've done uh, hundreds upon hundreds of interviews. And uh, we did talk, had you on the program, about talking to you about currency wars and the death of money. And what I think is so invaluable about your writing and your books is that this really gets the the reader up the curve on what's going on, and you can't make great decisions unless you see both sides of the story. And there's definitely one here that people need to know about. Once again, the book is called Sold Out. You know, let's take a let's switch to inflation for a second. The stated inflation rate, I think, somewhere between seven and eight percent. You know, Jim, it seems like it's more like twenty to twenty-five percent. How inaccurate are the government numbers?
0: Oh, well, the government numbers are accurate, but you have to understand how they do it. So we say, and you're exactly right, inflation has been between seven and eight percent. Um, but there are there are probably a thousand items in a hypothetical basket of things that everybody buys. They're all given different weights, and uh, you know the the, the, uh, the labor department you know computes this once a month. But what you have to do is realize that that's an average, but it's an average of a whole bunch of stuff. And when you break down the individual components, you'll find, you know, gasoline prices have doubled. Diesel prices have doubled. Um, rents have gone up. Interest rates have gone up. Um, you know, certain you know, food prices have gone up. So, But this is how people relate to it. They think of gas, gas at the pump, milk and eggs, uh, you know, butter and, and uh, ground beef, et cetera, at the grocery store. Those prices have gone up. A lot more than seven or eight percent. So you're right about that. <coughs> Pardon me. Now I could give you a list of things that have gone down. You know, computers and iPads and cell phones. But you know, you can't you can't eat a cell phone, right? You, you don't buy it every day. So so yeah. On average, I think I don't think they lie about the numbers. But you're right. The things that people have to buy every day and the things that are most visible have gone up a lot more than that seven or eight percent average.
1: So, are you? You talked about gas. Uh, are you surprised the gasoline prices are not higher than they than they uh, are right now, and maybe oil prices? And it, uh, what has led to where energy prices are right now? Because it seems like they've definitely fallen off from where they were. La- I guess last year.
0: They they have. They peaked in around June of 2022 was the peak, and uh, when you look at year over year, June 2021. Not that far after the pandemic panic, to June 2022, they more than doubled, and that was you know going to be a big political issue, and, and uh, every, everyone knew it. Now they have come down. They haven't come all the way down. They haven't. They're not back to where they were, right. you know, two years ago. They've come off the top. You're right about that, but not for good reasons. And let me explain what I mean by that. So you're like, hey, inflation's cooling down, and by the way, it has. Inflation also peaked um, around uh, uh, August. And then you know you look at August, September, October, November, December. We don't we all we don't have the December numbers yet. November is the most recent day that we have. Uh, it came down every month. Now it's still high. It came down from almost nine to you know eight point four, eight point one. Now it's down to about seven point one. So everyone's uh, you know patting themselves on the back, but seven point one is still pretty high. But it, it it has come down, and still have oil and, and you know, diesel and gasoline prices. But here's the point: it's going down because the economy's slow. We're probably heading sure. into a recession. And and um, the price of gasoline is what that we call inelastic it to it, use a technical. You have to get to work, take the kids to school, fill up your Ford F one fifty, whatever it is. You don't have any choice. But if you're paying more at the pump, that's less money you have to spend somewhere else. Maybe you don't go out to dinner. Maybe you skip a sporting event or a concert or a new suit or a new dress or whatever it may be and that depresses the economy and that's that's the mode we're getting into right now so uh, and you know chapter uh, 4 of the book is on inflation and it's funny when I talked to my uh, editor you know you, you sort of sketch these things out in advance so we're going to do supply chain have three chapters on the supply chain but then she said Jim we have to have a chapter on inflation i said absolutely and we do but then i said to her I want a chapter on deflation and disinflation. Yes, yes. And that's that's the thing that nobody sees coming. So that's where we lean ahead a little bit. Yeah, is inflation high? Absolutely. But it's going to turn. So now disinflation, you still have inflation, but it comes down. So if inflation goes from seven to six to four to three, which I expect it will in the coming months, it's still inflation. It still hurts you, but it comes down a lot. People are not ready for that. And then if it goes any further and we get into a bad recession, which I also expect, you could get into deflation, which is now you're through the looking glass because prices are they are not just going up at a slower rate. They're actually going down. And the weird thing about deflation, cash can actually be your best-performing asset. Everybody's like, well, I hate cash because you know, I only get 1% of the bank, whatever, which is true. But if prices come down 2% and you get 1% of the bank, your real return is 3 you know, 2 plus 1. In other words, the value of cash goes up in deflation. That's why I say it's through the looking glass. This is very non-intuitive to most people, but this is why your your asset allocation really matters.
1: Now, this is interesting because I completely agree with you on this, the 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 fact that we could go from inflation to deflation. I think looking at some charts in the past, that there could be, a, there is, excuse me, a historical precedence for this. But isn't deflation a a debt event anyway. I mean, when you have this much debt as we have, it seems like we would have more of a deflationary environment than an inflationary environment, or am I wrong?
0: Well, no, you're right. First of all, uh, let's talk about $30 trillion, you know, uh, a gorilla in the room. The national debt is over $30 trillion. But the way I think about it is, um, you know, let's say you have a $25,000 balance on your MasterCard. So that's how much you owe. Well, if you're making 20000 a year and struggling to pay the rent, you're probably gone bankrupt. You can't handle that $25,000 debt. On the other hand, if you're making $300,000 a year in some capacity, businessman or whatever, businesswoman, you can probably pay it off with a check. So the point is, you can't just look at the debt. You have to look at the debt relative to the income. In other words, can you handle it? So same is true for a country. So $30 trillion of debt, yes. But what's our... Um, GDP, gross domestic product. And that's and so you, I look at the debt-to-GDP ratio. Now, here, here's where it gets really interesting. A 30% debt-to-GDP ratio, so my debt is 30% of my, my revenue, basically. Very comfortable, easy to manage, no problem. At 60%, it gets a little hairy. At 90%, there's a lot of research that shows 90% debt-to-GDP is where the debt, actually, you can't borrow your way out. It actually... Is a drag on growth growth goes down well the United States today is at hundred and thirty percent we have hundred and thirty percent debt to GDP mm-hmm. ratio way past the 90 percent um, danger zone and by the way where are you at that point who's at that lunch table Lebanon you know Greece and Italy <laughs> those are your, sure. the, that's your lunch table those are the other countries with that kind of debt to GDP ratio
1: you know Italy's
0: like a super bar so so if, so you're right, they, they, and the research is very clear. It's not guess That does slow growth. Um, but there's another phenomenon, speaking of debt. So debtors love inflation. If I owe money, and you tell me I can pay it sure. back in cheaper dollars, I'm like, hey, good deal. <clears throat> but the opposite is true. If I owe money and the dollar's getting more expensive in real terms because of deflation, then my debt burden goes up. So here you have the United States. First of all, sky-high debt-to-GDP ratio definitely slows growth but gets harder to repay now so the idea is that creditors love deflation because the money you owe me is worth more debtors uh uh, debtors like inflation because the money you owe is worth worth less sorry uh, right but here's but here's the point at a certain point the debtors throw in the towel and walk away and that debt goes back to the creditor in the form of a bad debt and that's when you get your bank failures. And by the way, that's why, uh, you know, ancient Israel and the Bible, that's why they had debt jubilees. They they knew that they knew that people, they knew human nature. Uh, they knew that people borrowed too much. They knew that there were occasional defaults. And so on a 50-year cycle, all debts were forgiven because it was a way to kind of say, like restarting your computer, just start the thing over again.
1: You know, you mentioned recession a second ago. And it's really interesting to me because it seems as if everybody is forecasting a recession for 2023, and you know the old saying that when everybody thinks the same way, everybody's usually wrong. It kind of makes that contrarian part of me look up. What's your opinion on that? I mean, everybody's calling for a recession. Where do you think that? Uh, where do you think that fits in?
0: Well, uh, I I could be a bit of contrarian, not for its own sake, but o- but often because. People doing the forecasting have very bad models. by the way, you will not find a worse forecasting record than the Federal Reserve.
1: Right. right. They're
0: they're just they've they just always wrong. So so the contrarian attitude, if you will, is helpful. But here's the point: uh, you're right that all you know, uh, the J.P. Morgan chief economist, Wall Street economists, are calling for recession, but they're calling for a mild recession. Who's ready for a severe recession? Who's ready for something like two thousand? 2008 or worse. So I'll say recession. Yeah, I agree with that. We're probably already in one, by the way. But my expectation is it will be a lot worse than, you know, the talking heads on CNBC and Wall Street economists are expecting. It's not going to be mild. It's going to be far worse than that, number one. Number two, people tend to take a recession and a financial crisis and mush them together. But they're, they're two very different things. Um, in 1998, we had a financial crisis that almost closed every market in the world. That was the Russian default long-term capital management. Yes. By the way, you may know I negotiated that bailout, so I had a front row seat on that one. But there was no recession. That was, that was like the, the, the beginning of the dot-com boom. So we had a financial crisis, no recession. Um, in 2000, we had a recession, but no financial crisis. So they're really separate things. Now, what was interesting about 2008 we did have both. That was a very severe recession, and a financial crisis with Bear Stearns, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, you know, Lehman Brothers all failing. Morgan Stanley was days away from collapse, and Goldman Sachs was right behind. And that's when the Fed waved their wand and made them both bank holding companies. So I, I once did as a lawyer; I did a bank holding company application. Took two years because they were slow rolling it. They they made those companies banks in yes. two days because that then they had the ability to bail them out. So, so the question is, okay, recession, I think it's going to be more severe than the consensus, but I see a global financial crisis happening at the same time. This is way behind the curtain. You've got to get uh, you know deep in the plumbing of the international financial system to see this in the form of what are called inverted yield curves in euro dollar futures markets. Again, I don't want to get too down in the weeds, but there's some very bad signs there.
1: Well, Jim, I've got probably another hour's worth of notes to talk to you about, but we don't have any time left. Once again... The name of the book, I would highly recommend it, Sold Out, How Broken Supply Chain, Surging Inflation, and Political Instability Will Sink the Global Economy. It gives you that total other side of the story you're not hearing, and just a great book and a great opportunity to figure out what to do and be prepared for what's coming down the road. Hey, Jim, thank you so much for coming on the program. It was great to have you on. Thank you, Bob. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining me today. I uh, th- That's the uh, third time that I've been able to interview Jim on his in his work. I think, as I said earlier, we talked about currency wars, the death of money. And unlike really any other author that I've, I've come across, he really does get into the details and explain what's happening. If you want a clear and concise look at what is potentially happening what could uh, come down the pike and, th- and once again not to be a gloom and doom or anything like that this is about being prepared and uh, having a understanding of what could happen and know what to look for then you can prepare yourself for that that's what I want st- to I just want to stress is that there's things that you can do to make sure you're in a good place in the event that uh, Jim is right about uh, some of the things he's saying once again it's it's about not being a, a gloom and doom and uh, and for forecasting bad things. It's about hey, this is what I'm seeing, which we talk a lot about on the on the on the uh, prudent money radio show. It's just what we're seeing, and uh, you can you can look at it and you can interpret it in many different ways, but uh, you just can't go go forward in doing the things we do in this economy structure and expect everything to be okay. Once again, the book is called Sold Out. If you have a question for me, this is Bob Brooks. If you have a question for me, please go to the website at freedommoney.com and send it in because we are all out of time. Till we do meet again next time, keep the faith and have a great rest of the day.